Specialty Stories is part of the MedEd Media Network at mededmedia.com. This is Specialty Stories, session number four. Whether you're a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you will want to practice. This podcast will tell the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information you need to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome back to Specialty Stories. If this is not your first time joining us, but most likely it is, since we are only four episodes in to the Specialty Stories. This is part of this podcast is part of the MedEd Media Network. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, if I haven't said that yet. I host several other podcasts. You can find them all at mededmedia.com. All right, this podcast focuses on an anesthesiologist who practices in the community. Let's go ahead and jump right in. I am Patrick Pickett, and I am an anesthesiologist, and I am currently in Oklahoma City. Are you in an academic or a community environment? I am in a, I would say, medium to large community. general community hospital. Okay. Let's start off with what made you decide when you're choosing between academic or community or or what sort of environment you want to work with. How did you go down that path? Well, it's a little interesting. Um, I actually always thought I would do academics and, and um, my dad is an ac- uh, academic physician. He's retired, but I, I always kind of thought that's what I do. And of course, you know, w- as you're going through this process, you always start in academics because you're in college, med school, residency. And those are all, ac- I mean, I guess there's some residencies that are community residencies, but in general, you start in academics. And so um, that's sort of what I was comfortable with. But I did a fellowship in critical care medicine, and that really ties you to academic settings. And, and then I kind of decided I didn't, I didn't really want to do that. So um, I started looking around for jobs, and you know the long story short is the the job I found that was available in the city I needed to be in because uh, my wife was doing her training here uh, happened to be a, a community job, and I, I kind of started thinking about it, and it made a lot of sense. Um, and since I've been doing it, I realized that it probably is a better fit for me than I ever would have thought um, had this not you know, presented itself this opportunity. So. Okay. When did you know you wanted to be an anesthesiologist? That's also interesting. And I'm going to give you, because I know you, I'm sure, I assume you have some pre-meds on here. Um, I shadowed and shadow is not the right word, but um, I was an engineering major and I got a summer sort of volunteer position with a, the biomedical engineering department at a hospital. And I quickly realized that it was pretty boring because they, they basically stayed in the basement and like repaired beds and stuff. And it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I liked engineering. I, I, I did that major because I liked it. But by that point, I knew I wanted to do medicine. And and so they're like, well, you know, we can plug you in with the anesthesia techs upstairs and, and they can get you in and watch surgeries. I'm like, cool. I mean, I was, you know, a college kid and getting to watch like heart surgery. And that's really cool to see for the first time. Uh, and, but I was working with the anesthesia side of it, but I'm like, I just didn't have any concept of what they're doing. I mean, it, I'll say this as an anesthesiologist, it's kind of boring to watch. Um, 
because it's a lot of mental stuff. I mean, it's a lot of thinking and, and, uh, you know, we give medicines, but it's like a clear liquid and a syringe. I mean, it doesn't, you can watch a surgery and kind of like, okay, he's cutting this, he's sewing this. I mean, you can kind of get an idea of what's going on. There's obviously a lot more thought process to the surgery, but anesthesia is not really like that. So, so fast forward, you know, in, in medical school, I, I thought I would do, well, let me say, I, I didn't really know what I would do, but I didn't really think about anesthesia until I did the rotation as a third year medical student. So more than halfway through medical school. And it just really clicked now that I'd had more medical education and, and kind of understood kind of the underlying concepts and the, the things that we worry about, you know, the, the medicine, the pharmacology, physiology, all those things. And it makes a lot of sense. Um, but it, it's sometimes, you know, for me at least, I just had to do it to, to get it and to understand the appeal. And I mean, it's after I did the rotation, it was, that was all I wanted to do. And that's what I ended up doing. And I've been very happy with it, but I, I think it's interesting. I mean, I shadowed it and did not like it at all. So I had a complete turnaround with a little bit of more training. What do you think led ultimately to that decision? Having, having that experience shadowing and not liking it, but then going through a rotation and liking it, mm -hmm. what, what yeah. was it about it that you liked? Well, you know, going through the process of choosing a specialty, um, you know, I, I have a little bit of a medical family. Um, I'm fourth generation physician and my dad and both of his parents, uh, were, and his grandfather were physicians. And so I kind of knew what I didn't want to do. You know, I knew I didn't want to be say a pediatrician or an OBGYN. I didn't want to be a surgeon. So I, I narrowed myself down to like those other kind of categories. Um, and, uh, not necessarily non-clinical, but, just sort of, you know, when, after you go through the kind of big five or six, you know, like the big core rotations, you, you kind of get to other things that are kind of smaller fields. You know, emergency medicine I thought about, but that wasn't right for me. Um, coming into med school, I, you know, after all my shadowing, I thought I'd do radiology because I, I took a class on the physics of imaging. I thought that was really cool. Then I realized, well, that's not really what you do as a radiologist. But um, And so going through the clinical rotations and you know, a lot of med schools now, you start clinical experience even before your rotation. So like as a first and second year, they'll have you do some random days here and there. I kind of knew what I did and didn't like. I didn't really like clinic. Um, I kind of like hospital-based, more kind of acute care, critical care stuff. So like emergency medicine, ICU, I put anesthesia sort of halfway in that category. I kind of like those things. And then I like to work in the operating room, but I didn't really want to be a surgeon, so that kind of narrows it down. Um, so kind of going through process of elimination and just finding what I didn't like and what I did like and putting those things together, you know, a lot of the operating room and kind of the acute care medicine, that's, that's anesthesia right there. Um, and so it wasn't a straight path like, well, I broke my bone when I was a kid and the orthopedic surgeon was really nice and I didn't have that kind of moment. Um, my dad was a neurologist and... I found it very interesting, but I knew that wasn't right for me. Um, so it wasn't the typical, you know, you write your personal statement. I've always wanted to be a whatever kind of doctor. It wasn't exactly like that for me. I was more undecided till relatively late in the game, although a lot of people are undecided until third year, a number at least that I knew were. 
Yeah, I, I think that's pretty common, which is why we do this podcast. <laughs> Helps students that's find great. their way. This is great. What traits what? do you think lead to being a good anesthesiologist? Definitely um, being flexible in, in a number of ways. Um, in one way would be I meet a patient, I know what surgery they're scheduled for, I come up with a plan. Um, and the first place I have to be flexible is for some things, there's different ways to do anesthesia that are totally acceptable. You know, say a spinal anesthetic versus a general anesthetic for a knee replacement. Those would be both considered acceptable. Each has its own risks and benefits. I might think of one is better for a patient. They may say absolutely. Usually the spinal is what scares them, although I don't think that's deserved. But, you know, they, they may refuse to do it a certain way and I can talk to them. But, you know, at a certain point, it, the patient has to kind of decide. And as long as it's not overly risky, you know, we, would you give them leeway to choose different options? Um, and so it, they may not want what my plan A was, or, you know, we, we, I may pick my plan A and let's say there's, you know, the patient's okay with that and we get going. And then for whatever reason, it doesn't work. I mean, no, nothing's a hundred percent in medicine. So you start off doing something and you realize this isn't working. So you might have to change gears and it's relatively quick. So you have to be able to sort of think on your feet, um, and, and just realize, you know, Plan A is not working. I got to switch gears to Plan B, um, and be able to execute that. Um, you know, it's a fairly fast-paced. Um, maybe not as much as emergency medicine, but you know, we're typically talking about seconds or minutes. Um, cases usually last, you know, maybe an hour or two is the average. So there's there's a certain amount of turnover. So you have to be able to kind of you do one thing, and then you know, I might. Uh, because of the variety in anesthesiology, you know, I might my first case might be a six month old, and then my next case might be a ninety nine year old. So I have to be able to kind of switch gears. Um, I think it's good to like a lot of different aspects of medicine. So part of that being undecided was not that I didn't like so many things. I mean, I, I mentioned some of the things I didn't really want to do, but it wasn't that I didn't like anything about them. I just didn't want to do only that one thing. So you know, my Let's see, this past week I, I had a, you know, I was on labor and delivery, so pregnant women. I had some pediatrics. I had some older people for knee replacements. And so there's a lot of different uh, variety of things we do. And so um, being well-versed, you know, liking a lot of different things and, and having a broad knowledge base and being able to change gears quickly, those are all good traits. And also, you know, you work with a lot of different people. Um, there's a team in the operating room. So you have to be able to get along with people. And people always think, well, the patient's asleep. And most of the time, they are. I mean, under anesthesia is not exactly sleep, but we use the word sleep as sort of a euphemism. But the patient may not be talking, but we have, you know, half a dozen or even more, maybe 10 or 15, depending on the, the case, people in the operating room, and they all have a role, and you have to be sort of able to interact with all these people. And there's, there's times that, um, particularly if, something's going wrong, you know, a patient has a cardiac arrest or something, you're leading that team and you have to be able to tell people and um, you do this, you do that. So able to assume the leadership role, but not necessarily, uh, you're not necessarily in that role all of the time. So it, it takes the sort of a right temperament. I mean, it's, it's not the, I think for sports fans, the best analogy the the anesthesiologist in the operating room is not the 
the quarterback or the star running back. We're more like the offensive line. We're kind of the behind the scenes person. Um, we don't get all the attention and all the credit, and that's fine. But without us, you couldn't really do anything. Um, we're a necessary part. We have our expertise. We have our role. And it's kind of, you know, we come in and we do our job and we do it well and, you know, we kind of move on. And so it's, it takes the right kind of person for that. Um, you know, so laid back is a phrase that's used a lot. I don't think anesthesiology is a laid back field, but I think a lot of anesthesiologists are laid back because you have, that goes, ties in that kind of flexibility, that kind of lack of ego, um, being able to kind of roll with different situations and, and I think those are some traits I would I would say make a good anesthesiologist. Describe a typical day. Well, we do start early, and I'm honestly not a morning person. If I was, if I don't have to work, and if I didn't have two small kids, I would love to sleep in. Um, but we do. I, I typically start before seven a.m. So, say six forty-five if my the first case starts at seven, which is the most common time. And there's a wide variety or a wide variability in when I'm done, the average might be say four to five in the afternoon. Um, there are days when we may be shorter depending on the time of year and where I am in the call schedule. And there's days that I'm on call and I'm on, you know, I could be there into the evening or even all night. Thankfully, you know, my practice, it's not that common for me to be up 24 hours straight. Thankfully Uh, it, it happens, but it's not all that common. Um, and as far as what I do, it depends on, what you know anesthetizing location i'm assigned to so part of the growth of anesthesiology over the years is it's not just the operating room you know we have the gi or endoscopy suite we have uh cardiac cath labs interventional radiology um you know ambulatory surgery um labor and delivery so a wide variety of places and of course whatever you know if that determines and the type of case i'm assigned to determines what my day looks like um, and so like I, like I was saying earlier on a, this past week, I've had all ages, um, all different kinds of surgery. Um, so a typical day, if, if it's the operating room, I might have three, four five cases on average for one and a half to two hours each. If it's the GI lab, we may have 10, 15 or more cases that are a half hour each. Um, if it's a neurosurgery or spine surgery or cardiac, it could be four, six, eight, or more hours per case, and you only have one or two. So it's widely variable, which I like. I like the not doing the same thing every day. Um, and so, you know, typical, let's say I'm doing some general surgery. I'll go in at 645, meet the first patient, talk to them about my plan, talk to them about all the risks and uh, alternatives. And, and depending on the type of case, there may not be a lot of alternatives. You know, if you need your gallbladder out, that's pretty much how to be general anesthesia with a breathing tube. That's pretty much the only way to do that. But you talk to them about what you're going to do and what the expectations are. And part of our job is a little bit of psychologist. Um, anxiety is very, very common before a major surgery or even a minor surgery. And some people have more anxiety about it than others, um, whether they're unexperienced or whether they've had a bad experience in the past. And so you kind of have to manage that. I found the best way to just walk them through it. Um, and I'll kind of walk your listeners through it because you said, what's the typical day? So after I meet them, you know, we'll take them back to the operating room and 
they move over to the operating room table and put the monitors on them, check their vital signs. Um, and if it's a general anesthetic, give them medicine in their ID and they, you know, to use the euphemism, go to sleep. But it's really, it's, it's unconsciousness. It's a, a reversible coma is probably the most accurate medical term. Um, and, you know, depending on how the case goes, I may have to do a little or a lot to manage their breathing and their vital signs, you know, their heart rate and blood pressure. Uh, the anesthetic, you know, requirements, I mean, the different things we like to talk about, um, the components, if it's say the general anesthesia, you know, making them not aware, not remembering, not feeling pain, um, not moving around, which is important that the surgeon can do their job. So making sure all those things are in place. And then at the end of the surgery, you know, is one of the most important parts as far as the potential risks, um, you know, is the emergence from anesthesia. If they have a breathing tube in, we have to get them breathing on their own and take that out before we can take them to the recovery room. And then when all those things have been done, we take the patient to the recovery room and then we kind of transfer our care. We give a handoff to the recovery room nurse and then we move on to the next patient. And depending on how, what my day is scheduled like, you know, repeat that as many times as necessary. Um, so that's a pretty typical day. And again, there's be the best way of saying what the typical day is, is there's no one typical day, but that's what I like about it. Do you have to take a lot of call? It, it varies by group, but I, I would say um, the difference, and my wife's a, a urogynecologist is a comparison. She's on call a lot more days than I am. And whenever she operates on somebody, she's on call for that patient or patients um, until they leave the hospital. Uh, but she rarely goes into the hospital. Um, so she may get a lot of phone calls. Me, on the other hand, there's fewer days of the month that I'm on call. It could just be three or four, but I'm much more likely to go into the hospital. And if it's labor delivery, I'm more or less required to be in the hospital. Um, and we do about a 12-hour shift, um, 24 hours on the weekends. But I'm pretty much labor and delivery. I'm required to be in the hospital. The operating room, if there's any surgeries going on, then I have to be there. So... Um, a little less frequent call than some other people, but more likely to go into the hospital. There's not a lot I can solve with a phone call unless, you know, somebody had just had anesthesia and they're in the recovery room and I've gone home and they need some pain medicine or nausea medicine or something like that. Not a lot I solve with a phone call. I usually have to be there. Do you feel you have enough time for family? I do. Yeah. That's one thing I really like about anesthesia. Um, and that was one of my, prerequisites to choosing a specialty um you know i i knew you know when i was in college and med school that i wanted to have a family and and i wanted to pick something that would give me some flexibility to be with my family and i probably work 55 to 60 hours a week which is you know for medicine is maybe average or uh certainly less than my surgical colleagues that i work with but uh compared to a lot of other jobs it's more than that but the thing i like is that it's somewhat predictable on a day-to-day basis I, I can have a decent idea of when i'm going to be home um and of course if you're on call you don't know if you're going to get called in but you know you can choose days to not be on call if you have to you know do something with the kids and i'm not on call that often that um you know prevents me from seeing my kids on most of the weekends so that's nice um and of course having a two-physician household gets a little hectic but we both have some say over when we're on call so we could 
uh, try to not be on call at the same time because that would be kind of hard to both be in the hospital because then nobody's home watching the kids. So um, it, it's a nice balance. It's certainly, you know, I knew going into the medicine that being on call is part of the deal, but it's it's manageable and I, I feel I get enough you know, off time and things like that that you know, the, the nice thing about having the long days and short days is, you know, you can kind of find where those short days are and enjoy your time off. So, What makes a competitive applicant for anesthesia? Well, you know, it's, I think, considered not the most competitive, but it's probably in the next kind of group down. It's similar to like emergency medicine in terms of, you know, the thing like the board scores and uh, grades you need as a a fourth-year medical student to match. That part, I, I can't give you good numbers for because it's been more years than I would probably like to admit since I've done that, almost 10 years. Well, more than 10 years since I've applied. But, you know, th- as far as that's the kind of the number side, you know, the the intangible side, um, you know, you need to, and this is a little, I mean, I don't know how you would evaluate this on paper, but as far as your views and your rotations and things, you know, somebody that can, I always felt that it's a little bit of a hard rotation because, you know, on the, on the surgical side, you can have half a dozen people scrub in and they can all find something to do. But in anesthesia, we kind of work in a small space. So you kind of have to know when to kind of step back and when to step forward and help out and, and kind of when to ask questions and when to kind of let the, the anesthesiologist, you know, if there's a kind of critical moment, kind of you know, stand back and let them do their thing. So, I don't know what the exact word is that describes that, but um, that ability to kind of not be in the way, but but be appropriate, appropriately aggressive, and kind of helping out and offering to do things, um, and that's more if you do a rotation. Um, you know, certainly we like to see experience because it's not a required rotation, so you need that experience to show that. I mean, there's just, I mean, it's certain fields are just different than everything else. Like radiology, there's not really anything else that's much like that, you know. So anesthesia is one of those things, not really a whole lot else that's like it. So you you really have to have a rotation. Um, and, of course, you if it's, you know, if you're planning on doing anesthesia, you want to do well on that rotation, which means getting there early, staying late, getting to know everybody. Um, so those are, those are the kind of things that I think would make you competitive. Um, fortunately, there's a lot of programs – uh, I mean, when I was uh, applying, I think it was about 1,500 spots. So it's not a small field. What does residency look like? Well, it's, it's a four-year residency. So it's, it's what's considered um, there's, an, there's an intern year, and then there's the three years starting at PGY2. So in other words, the second, third, and fourth year. And depending on where you go, those can be separate or all combined. But your intern year is going to be not anesthesia for the most part. It's going to be medicine, surgery. I did some emergency medicine rotations. ICU is a big part because of the. Not only can anesthesiologists be ICU doctors, but it, it's a, there's a very strong overlap of the skill set. You know, we have to take care of sick people, and a lot of times they're sick because we're giving them anesthesia, and that makes people temporarily, you know, ill in some ways. I mean, um, so the ICU part is important, but but that's the intern year, and then the next three years you're going to do start off with some general rotations and, and they kind of work you in gradually. So most programs, they don't put you in the operating room by yourself on day one 
of that second year. They'll have you paired with another resident, with an attending, something like that, where there's a little bit of a safety net. And of course, you always have an attending supervising you, but I mean, in the room for the first, say, month or two, probably won't have you take call for the first month or two, but then you get progressively more independence, responsibility, and then you'll go through more advanced rotations. So for us, that's going to be things like cardiac, anesthesia, neuro, neurosurgery, neuroanesthesia, you know, labor and delivery, pediatrics, all those different things that are just different than, than the general case. Um, and, and those are required as well. Um, we do some pain management. That's another, it's not a subspecialty of anesthesia exactly. It's a multi, you know, multidisciplinary field. Anesthesiology is, is one of the main fields of that. Um, similar with critical care, it's a multidisciplinary field that anesthesiologists are involved in. Those are all things you go through, and, and at some point in time, you kind of figure out what you want to do with your life. There's fellowships, so that's a separate thing after residency, but decide if you want to do that, which one. Um, you know, call is, I guess, depending on who you're comparing to, more or less frequent. Um, again, compared to our surgeons that we work with, probably less call than them, but you know, maybe more than some other folks. Um, and it's almost always in-house and there's almost always, I think most programs will have a couple residents, like a senior and a junior on call. You know, that's, that's a pretty standard sort of, uh, run through of the residency experience. You know, you have your board exams, oral and written, um, that you're going to have to take and you'll have didactics that help you prepare for those. Um, which you know probably are pretty common things for most fields. There aren't a lot of oral boards left since you brought that up. So, so anesthesia is still one that has oral boards. Oh, we do. Yes, um, and I, I can say this since I'm done with it. I I, I enjoyed it in a, in a weird way. I mean, it's you know, it's uh, and I I'll talk a little about that since maybe your other. Uh, specialty guests didn't experience that. So it's the surgical fields typically do have words. I know this because through my wife and through the other people I work with. Um, but theirs are a little different than ours. A lot of times they prepare a case log and they ask you questions about specific cases you did. So ours is not like that. So the oral boards for us, uh, basically two hours. Um, you have two rooms, each about an hour long, and you have two examiners in each room and you walk in and every candidate has the same st- we call it stem which is sort of the beginning of a case but then which direction it goes is up to the examiner so they'll say your patient's a 70 year old male he's scheduled for heart surgery he has these problems and they always give you some hints as to what problems are going to arise you know he has an abnormal ekg so he's going to have a heart attack during the case or he has some weird breath sounds he's going to have some respiratory problems during the case things like that um, they make you kind of draw on that, you know, medical knowledge, anesthesia knowledge, knowledge of all the surgeries that we provide anesthesia for. Uh, and, and their goal is to really kind of, ex- I think the phrase is to probe the limits of your knowledge, which basically means keep asking you questions until they get to something you don't know and then move on to the next thing. So it's a little intimidating, but it, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting format. I mean, uh, in the U.S., we don't do a lot of oral exams in college or med school. I think in other countries, I know the one that comes to mind because I know people that came up through the system is India. They do a lot of oral exams. So for them, that may be second nature, but 
for us, because we don't do those, it's, it seems intimidating, uh, because you're not used to the format. So you, you have to take the written board exam before you can take the oral board exam. So it's not a question of the content. It's a question of, can you kind of think on your feet? And it's not like a multiple choice test, which are most of what we take in medicine, you know, where all five answers are already there. You just have to find the right one. So for the oral board, you have to be able to come up with it from scratch and that can be a little hard. It takes a lot of practice, but like I said, being done with it, I enjoyed it. Maybe I didn't feel that way when I was preparing for it, but now I, I kind of look back and I think that was a pretty neat experience. Do you see any bias uh, among DOs versus MDs? You know, um, having done my training in the Midwest, and I feel like there are a lot more osteopathic physicians in the Midwest than the coasts. Um, never practiced or trained on the coast so i can't say that for sure but i I feel like i have more uh exposures to working with do's and my impression of them was always really good now it could be a little bit of a selection bias because it could be that the do's who chose to do allopathic residencies were whatever you want to say more motivated or something or or whatever but i mean the most of the smartest guys i know were do's i mean they're some of the most amazing Docs I know were DOs, so I, I always always had a good impression. And I mean, my my understanding of it is they pretty much have to know all, all of the things that MDs know, and then a little bit extra, the osteopathic manipulation. So I don't think it's. I, I think that the if there is a and there probably is some bias out there. I mean, you know, I assume you asked me that because this has come up before, but I, I don't think it's deserved. I mean, I I work with a lot of DOs, and they're they're excellent doctors. So. Um, it's different and it, it's a little bit silly. I think that at some point they should just combine them, but you know, um, you know, I, I, I don't, that any bias is preserved per, is any bias that's perceived is, is deserved. Okay. You mentioned a little bit ago about subspecializations. What opportunities sure. are there for anesthesiologists to subspecialize? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a number. Um, and, and as medicine, grows and in, in the knowledge base this is common that i think all, all fields are towards some subspecialization so for us uh the two that are kind of different are pain management and critical care because those are multidisciplinary so other physicians so let's say pain management i think neurologists psychiatrists like pmnr which is physical medicine rehabilitation and maybe internal medicine can all do that um, the most of the training programs that I know of are anesthesiology based, and most of the people going into those are anesthesiologists because a lot of what they do is interventional, meaning sticking needles in people, and um, we we kind of do that more than than some other people. And as far as opioids, I mean, we have a little more experience dosing opioids. Um, critical care, you know, that's ICU medicine. Um, most of my understanding, I kind of went through this with my job search. Most of the Programs are, are run through internal medicine, pulmonology, which also goes with sleep medicine sometimes. Um, so the anesthesiology is a smaller percentage of that field, typically af- affiliated with academic programs. But it's very exciting. Um, you know, I'm biased because I, I kind of did my training in that as well. And then the other subspecialties are uh, things that will you'll be in the operating room, but it's sort of a more specialized. So pediatric anesthesia, cardiac anesthesia. 
um, which is really growing because they do echocardiography, which is the ultrasound of the heart. Um, so they're trained to interpret those and, and tell the surgeon, hey, this is what I'm seeing here. You know, This mitral valve looks worse than we thought, or this is the size of the aortic valve, so this is the size you need to of the valve replacement you need to put in. So they, they're really involved in the management of those cases. Um, neuroanesthesia, obstetric anesthesia, those are some of the other ones. There's probably some really specific things that are that are some less common programs like liver transplant anesthesia, but that's probably just a few of those. The first ones I mentioned are much more common. What do you wish you knew going into anesthesiology that you know now? Probably all the different job opportunities that are available, you know, because it kind of as I alluded to earlier, you know, when you go through training, you're always in academics and that's kind of what you see. And you don't really see the community practices uh, unless you have a, kind of a connection or something. But because um, there's really most of the people in, you know, not just anesthesia, but in most fields, most of the people are out in the community. They're not in an academic center, and it's a different, you know, style of practice. But what I've realized is, is for me at least, you know, I prefer that. Um, not to say that I could never go back to academics because I think you can certainly do both well. But um, I, I don't know what the answer is as far as how do you get pre-meds, med students, and residents into the community um, in a formalized way. I think you kind of have to seek out those opportunities yourself. I wanted to add one other thing, uh, what I wish I would have known earlier, um, and this is not specific to anesthesia, but the business side of medicine, I've kind of done a lot of reading and um, I'm actually working on the MBA largely for my own uh, entertainment, but I just got really interested in the business side of medicine. That's something you really don't get much in training at all, but it is important, particularly if you go to the community because you're sort of responsible for the bottom line and you're much more aware of your own bottom line. What other specialties do you work the closest with? For us in anesthesia, it's going to be all the surgical fields, and, and really I'll expand that to procedural fields. So every kind of surgery, um, as well as things like uh, GI, gastroenterology, um, they do endoscopy, and some of the cardiology, um, you know, like EP lab, uh, which is electrophysiology. Um, some of the internal or interventional radiologists. So basically anything that, uh, any, any procedure that some physician is doing to a patient that would require anesthesia, even for some folks, um, you know, uh, MRI, if they don't want to sit still, if they're very young or just have a lot of anxiety, you know, we might provide some sedation for that. So are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for anesthesiologists? Well, you know, certainly being in a field that I'll say it used to be a very litigious field, thankfully, because anesthesia has gotten so much safer over the years. We're no longer, we used to be in the most litigious group, which is um, obstetricians and neurosurgeons. And, and thankfully we've moved down to between ophthalmologists and internists, which is to say medium, uh, litigation risk, but there's an, there's opportunities for things like expert witness testimony. Um, because we are a field that uses a lot of technology. There's some opportunities to play a role in that. Um, there's always research, 
uh, opportunities, and that's probably a lot of fields as well. Um, you know, a lot of the movement now, and, and thankfully our field has been early uh, in their adoption of this, but quality improvement, which is a buzzword now, but, um, you know, I mentioned our field got a lot safer over time. And really that was sort of around the 1980s when the monitoring technology got in, uh, improved and there's standardization of um, the equipment we use in the operating room and uh, expansion of our training. And so um, if anybody that's has exposure to the business world, they throw around this, this buzzword called Six Sigma, which is a statistical term, but it's, it's been used to describe the quality of a process. And I think it's something like one in half a million, or I forget what the exact number is, or maybe three out of a million uh, defects. And, and when, when I'm talking about in anesthesia, that's mortality. So that's about the chance of dying from anesthesia today is one in 400,000 or something. And I'm sure that your listeners can Google it and find out that I got the exact number wrong, but it's something like that. And, and that we're, we're the only field of medicine that's achieved that level of safety, which is kind of cool. So that was a little bit of a tangent. Quality management is another thing that you can get involved in and kind of a heavy um, presence of anesthesia in there. What do you wish other specialties knew about anesthesiologists? Well, you know, I, I like to think of, and, and pre- predominantly this would be the surgical colleagues we work with, um, you know, we have a little bit different approach to a patient. You know, we're really focused on safety. Um, the surgeons may be looking at the surgical reasons a patient needs to have a surgery. So they have something wrong with their gallbladder or their knee or whatever part of their body. Um, but we kind of look at the whole patient, you know, and particularly the heart and lungs, because those are the most affected by anesthesia, but all of their comorbidities. And we try to understand that this, there's a combination of kind of three things, you know, the patient and their medical problems, uh, the surgery and how that affects the body, and then the anesthetic and how that affects the body. And all those things have to come together um, and, and affect the patient in certain ways. And so we have to kind of try to get an idea of how the patient's going to handle that. And so they may have a very valid reason for needing surgery, but they also may be not a really good candidate for anesthesia. And so we have different ways of looking at patients. Um, and, and it's sometimes hard to get across to people that don't do anesthesia. So we, we have to be patient and kind of explain what our thinking is. Um, you know, fortunately, most surgeries are scheduled ahead of time. And so we, we have, a at least at our hospital, I think, probably most hospitals as well, have a pre-anesthesia process of reviewing patients, trying to decide who's a good candidate, who's not, and what we can do if somebody's not a good candidate to make them a good candidate. Um, so that's kind of the what some of the struggles with, with other physicians comes from is that uh, trying to get everybody on the same page. Um, and oftentimes we work in other physicians as well that are not surgeons, such as cardiologists or pulmonologists, if the patient has those comorbidities to get their expertise. And um, there are a lot of times that I've had a patient and I've called both the surgeon and the cardiologist and try to get everybody on the same page and uh, so we can get the best outcome for the patient. What do you like the most about being an anesthesiologist? 
I think if I had to pick one thing, it's just variety, you know, um, doing different things every day and sometimes even within the same day. Um, you know, this is a little bit hard, I think, to explain to the the pre-meds, but, you know, I, I remember, you know, I was really drawn to, as a, as a pre-med to the really exciting stuff, like the trauma surgery and the gunshots and, you know, being up till five in the morning. And, and what you realize over time is that it's also nice to have more of a routine day. And so, um, you know, th- that's okay too. Um, and actually that's at the point I'm at in my life, that's preferable. You know, the, the, sometimes excitement is not so good for the patient, you know, um, so, uh, but we, we still have our share of excitement. So that's, that's also nice, but, but, um, I like doing different things and I like that, um, you have variety and how long I might be at the hospital that day and, and the kind of patients I meet and all those kind of things. So, <laughs> what do you like the least about being an anesthesiologist? Well, you know, certainly night call can be. Uh, not always fun. Um, if you're having to be up for 24 hours, you know, that that's at, at uh, approaching 40, that's not quite as easy when I was closer to 20. Um, and, but again, it's not every day, but that's probably the least, uh, enjoyable thing having to be up all night, which we do from time to time. If you had to do it all over again, would you still choose anesthesiology? Oh, I would. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've thought about it. I've, I've reflected on it. And, and it's for me, it's the right fit. It's not the right fit for everybody. My wife thought it was the most boring specialty she ever rotated on. But, you know, we still get along, um, my wife and I. So that's good. And, and I, I, you know, she's a gynecologist and I could never do what she does. It doesn't interest me at all. So really, there's no right answer for everybody. You know, there's no one specialty that's, oh, this is the best thing for everybody. You know, you got to go through it and find what clicks for you. Now, I like to ask, what do you see as the future of anesthesiology? And I'm going to lead you a little bit with this one because, okay. Okay. because it's unique with you guys and CRNAs. Where do you see the future of anesthesiologists versus CRNAs merging? Well, and, and I, I actually, um, I, don't, I, I don't think the future is versus. I think the future is with. Um, so it's called the care team, the anesthesia care team, which means, um, a physician and a nurse, you know, an anesthesiologist and a, a nurse anesthetist or a anesthesiology assistant, which is an AA, which is another type of, um, anesthetist that can, you know, work with a anesthesiologist. Um, you know, most of the evidence shows that the care team is, uh, a very safe approach. And I think there's advantages of that, but I, I think that, you know, in, in my practice, I am, I do my own cases, meaning it's just me, you know, we're all physicians. We don't, uh, we don't supervise other people. So, uh, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to that, but there certainly is a large, uh, proportion of the country that has that supervision model. But I, I don't know that necessarily that it's quite as, um, controversial or whatever the word is, as, as people make it out to be. I mean, I think most of the people out there working, um, get along just fine, you know, as far as the nurses and the, the anesthesiologists. So I, I don't think there's, I, I think it, it, it is, you know, something that has been brought up and debated, 
um, over the years, but it seems that most of the time people get along fine. I actually, I mean, as far as the future of the specialty, I, uh, I don't know that that's the number one issue even. Um, I think it, it's something that, you know, you, and, and I would say for your, for your applicants and for your pre-meds, you know, there's a chance, you know, you, you should be prepared to do both. I mean, you should be prepared to supervise, you know, nurse anesthetists or AAs. And you should also be prepared to do your own cases because even in the same practice, sometimes people do both. Any last words of wisdom for those that are looking at anesthesiology as a specialty? Well, you know, I think for some some people it's a great fit, and for me it was. And keep it in mind, you know, they they kind of the the things they say uh, are that if you know you like pharmacology and physiology, you know, in in the basic science years, you know, you might consider anesthesiology. Um, you know, if you like those kind of you know, fast-paced, uh, hospital-based kind of specialties, you know, give it a try, give it a, a rotation. And, I mean, if you don't like it, there's plenty of other fields to choose from. But if you do, I, I think it can be a great career. All right, so there you have it. That was Dr. Pickett sharing his story about anesthesiology and his thoughts about the field. If you're interested in anesthesiology or any field, Shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. If we haven't covered the fields you're interested in, let me know, and I'll try to find somebody for that podcast. Or if you have somebody in mind, go ahead and introduce them to me at ryan at medicalschoolhq.net. I hope you have a happy and wonderful 2017 as we're recording this, the first episode of the 2017 year. I hope everybody had a happy and healthy New Year's, and here is to the rest of of the year. Have a great year and don't forget to check out everything that we do over at mededmedia.com.